from the Technology Association of Iowa, welcome to the Iowa Tech Policy Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Waller, with my co-host, Molly Ross. This podcast will provide an exclusive look into technology-focused legislation during the 2022 session at the Iowa State House. We will speak with state lawmakers and Iowa technology leaders from various industries on specific tech legislation, what it means for Iowans, and how it may impact tech companies across the state. The Iowa Tech Policy Podcast is proudly presented by Shazam, a member-owned debit network processor and core provider that believes community-based financial institutions strengthen and improve local communities. Learn more at shazam.net. Additional support is provided by Denton's Davis Brown Law Firm. Hello, and welcome to the Iowa Tech Policy Podcast. In this episode, we will take a dive into federal technology public policy. And with us today is Jennifer Grundy-Young, who is the CEO of the Technology Council of North America, or known as TECNA. Jennifer, welcome to the Iowa Tech Policy Podcast. Thanks, Brian and Molly. Thanks for having me today. You bet. So we are a member of TECNA. It's an association for associations. It's so meta. Can you tell our listeners what exactly TECNA does and what your mission is? Absolutely. So we exist to help serve technology councils in the United States. So we are here to help your association serve your members better. Also help you to connect with your peers across North America. So we have more than 60 different technology councils who are members of TECNA. The other thing that we do is advocate on behalf of the innovation technology ecosystem in the United States and Canada. We want to make North America the best place for those types of companies and that workforce to locate and do business and help the economy thrive. Perfect. So technology-focused legislation has come to the forefront in Iowa, along with TA's influence on state policy. Are you seeing similar action in other states and with your other members or at the federal level? Yes, both. So a lot of our members are seeing different pieces of legislation pop up in their states, things like privacy legislation, things like right to repair, a number of different tax bills around data centers or things like that that are directly impacting technology. And some of them would be better done on the federal level because, for example, like privacy, while Techna is not going to advocate for more regulations in any way, shape or form, to have businesses have more, a bigger regulatory environment to play in, there are some benefits to having a federal pervasive privacy bill versus 50 different states with different privacy bills. We're already seeing that crop up in different states already. California has a very heavy privacy bill already, and we are hopeful that the rest of the country isn't going to have to necessarily have 50 different bills that they have to be able to adapt their products to to follow those types, along with the the international privacy rules as well. Great. So let's dive into some of TECNA's policy initiatives at the federal level. Access to talent is a huge deal. And one really a priority of conversation is around immigration reform. And we know as a state that that's something that has to happen at a federal level. And so your language is to find permanent reform to policy promoting immigration of highly skilled workers. Can you tell us what's going on around immigration reform of highly skilled workers and what the federal government can do on that? 
That's a really touchy subject. As you know, immigration is a lightning rod topic, probably one of the biggest lightning rod topics in Washington right now because of what's happening at the border, because of DACA, because a number of those things. And the highly skilled immigration conversation is it's apples and oranges. This is the highly skilled conversation is around workforce. It is not around immigration. These people are spending thousands of dollars. Companies are spending thousands of dollars to find the best and the brightest in the world to come. And the reason we need reform to the plan is because there are no more left in the United States to hire. There are no more software engineers. If they are moving jobs or companies are hiring them, they're they're stealing from another country or another company right now. We're only graduating 75,000 software engineers a year from the U.S. universities. And a number of those are actually here on education visas. So we're sending our educated software engineers in the United States with their United States degree right back to where they came, whether it's China, India, Germany, wherever they're wherever they're from, we're not able to hire them here. And so in terms of permanent reform, we're not 100 percent certain what that looks like um, because it is incredibly complicated. I think you could hold the immigration system up to the IRS and you'd be apples for apples in terms of complexity, how difficult it is. But currently in the United States, there are only 85,000 H-1Bs granted each year, and it's a lottery system. It's not even a merit-based system. It's a lottery system. And so those are typically way too oversubscribed. And one thing we are advocating for is to simplify the system and model it after our neighbor to the north in Canada, modeling it after more their global talent stream, which uh, really takes it out of a company hand and puts it in the actual immigrant's hand and is expeditious. It moves at lightning speed, way faster than our current U.S. immigration system. But we're really trying to change the conversation around making this an immigration conversation and making it more a workforce conversation, because it is. This is not about immigration. It's about remedying the workforce issue we have in the United States. I want to go back to something you started to touch on, and that's the data privacy, knowing that's one of your priorities this year. As you mentioned Several states are working on their own bills. We in Iowa have a data privacy law that's currently moving through the House. And many of our members have expressed, of course, a desire for federal uniformity for the reasons you mentioned. Can you talk at all about what you're hearing at the federal level and you know what may be holding that up or where that may come down? There is an appetite on the federal level for privacy legislation right now, which is great. We, you know, at TechNet and a number of our peer associations like TechNet, I'm not going to be able to name them all right now, but a number of different technology organizations are hoping for a bill that does not include private right of action. But other than that, we are really hoping for a pervasive federal bill. And I think we may see something in Q2 move. If I understand it correctly, Senate Democrats are looking to move a large tech package whether they actually do that or not remains to be seen because there's a number of other issues on the table right now. They're just trying to get the government funded. They have to get that done before Friday. We're not sure if that's going to happen before then. But, and, and really after Q2 this year, it, we're going to be moving into campaign season because it's in the terms. And so that remains to be seen what they'll take action on. But there is definitely conversation around privacy and looking to get a pervasive privacy bill done in one year before. Denton's Davis Brown is a law firm committed to helping clients grow, protect, operate, and finance their organizations. With offices in more than 200 locations across 80 countries, Denton supports clients locally, nationally, and globally. More at dentons.com/ddb. 
Well, one thing that we're hearing at the Iowa State House after the January 6th event of 20, was it 21 now? Okay. So we're hearing an anti-big tech sentiment at the state level. We're hearing it on the news of the anti-big tech sentiment at the federal level. What are you hearing around that? And how is Techna combating that message of that's really against our industry? It's funny. I've been equating big tech a lot to the pharmaceutical industry where everybody's really glad that we have it. (laughs) They're very, very thankful that you have access to social media, that you have access to all the Microsoft products, the Apple products. But when there's an enemy to be had, they're point the finger at that. So we're really happy to have a COVID-19 vaccine, but they're really ticked off (laughs) at the large pharmaceutical industry. So the sentiment is probably the same as it is uh, on the federal level as it is in Iowa. I think a lot of people are really quick to point fingers at big tech. There is definitely, and, and to define big tech, the federal government or the, the federal policymakers have defined it as kind of the big five where they are, I believe, if I'm saying this correct, six billion in revenue or above. So we're looking at Microsoft, Apple, Facebook, Google, and Amazon. Those are our typically the big five. They are definitely moving or very interested in moving a package of antitrust bills that would seek to drastically limit their merger and acquisition capabilities, seek to limit their size, generally speaking, also look to drastically regulate their platforms and how they are interacting with their with their customers. There are pieces of it that are actually really great, but a number of these big tech companies are taking measures in terms of privacy and different things like that already that these bills would still mandate. The problem is, and why we care a lot about it, is because it is going to absolutely impact our industry. One of the bills within the antitrust package is called, uh, I'm going to forget the name of it, the American Competitiveness Act or uh, Platform Opportunity Act in the House. And it would drastically impact merger and acquisition activity, which, as you know, I'm sure it's the same with your members as a number of other techno members that, you know, our members depend on successful, you know, investment exit plans, business plans. And for that world to shrink or for that world to change drastically would drastically change the innovation ecosystem in the United States. Investment's going to go away. Uh, it's going to move to other countries. And when I say investment, I'm talking, you know, angel investment, venture investment. They're not going to invest in companies that can't exit or make money from a large, you know, acquisition. And so that entire business plan may be off the table um, or change drastically if these, if some of the pieces of these bills go through. But I th- I think <laughs> I think I can speak for a lot of at least the federal legislators. They're really mad at the message that big tech can control. And instead of dealing with things like Section 230 reform, they're going after the sizes of the companies. I say this because a lot of them have slipped <laughs> and actually said that in meetings where they'll say, well, they just control too much of the message. I said, well, that's a different thing than controlling the size of their company. And while that issue alone is a really complicated one, I wouldn't even know where to begin to solve that problem or change Section 230. It, it is more the argument, I think, than, than controlling their size. So we'll see what happens with that. I, I know that whole package would be part of the big tech package that the Senate Democrats are looking to pass that has privacy in it. But it's it would take a heavy lift. They're looking to put a lot of bills into that. And I don't know how ready they are to move. Help me understand down party lines of like who is against big tech, because it feels like I can hear Senator Warren talk about anti-big tech, but then I can hear Senator Cruz on the Republican side talk about anti-big tech. Are they all coalescing and around the same message or how do do Republicans and Democrats differ in their messaging around anti-big tech? 
it's amazing that this might be the only unifying thing that's actually oh, unifying <laughs> right now in, in Washington. It is without a doubt one of the one of the only bipartisan issues that exists right now. And one of the best committee hearings, at least for the beginning, was a committee hearing around one of the Senator Klobuchar, I think it was Grassley, bill on antitrust at the beginning of January, where there was some very true, honest discourse uh, and conversation that happened around that bill, which was the first time I've seen a committee hearing not just be really horribly partisan, not the issue we were hoping for to have that kind of great conversation, but it is absolutely a bipartisan issue right now, which is not great for big tech. (laughs) So you clearly got a big job, Jennifer, and a lot of work to do covering all of North America. Is there one thing you would like Iowa's federal delegation to know about the technology industry across the United States? Definitely. Uh, Two things. First, that the technology industry doesn't live on coasts. It is not a Silicon Valley. It is not a Washington state. It is not Boston. It truly is all over the world in your small communities, in the backyards of, you know, it, it's everywhere. And it has been for a long time. And I, you know, Techno is actually commissioning a report, a study that we will debut at our fly-in in May around where all the migrant tech workers have gone since the pandemic. And we our thesis is we think that a lot of legislators are going to find out that they have a lot more software engineers and a lot more tech workers in their states and in their districts than they ever knew that they did because the geography of, of technology has changed during the pandemic where people are not going into an office. They're being hired in remote positions and those people could be all over the country. And I think a lot of people will probably want to go to Iowa because it is a wonderful state. And I think a lot of people would like the calmness of it, the sereneness of it that is not noisy and loud like a lot of the large cities are. The other thing is that in talking about technology, a lot of times what we're talking about now is the technology workforce. It isn't necessarily tech companies. All companies have software engineers at them, web designers at them, cybersecurity professionals at them. And so your large financial institutions are tech companies, your grocery chains are tech companies, your home depots are tech companies, along with the Amazons, the Facebooks, the Microsofts. And so they really need to understand that talking about the tech world, we're really talking about the tech workforce. And that's everybody. There are tons of them out there now, and more so than they probably realize in their states and in their districts. Well, thank you for that, Jennifer. And thank you for your leadership across you know, North America and speaking for the technology industry. I think we speak the same language. We like to say every Iowa company is a technology company. I think that that speaks for every company sure. across the states. So thank you for your leadership. And thank you for joining us today on the Iowa Tech Policy Podcast. Thank you. That wraps up this episode of the Iowa Tech Policy Podcast. Thank you to Shazam and Denton's Davis Brown Law Firm for supporting this initiative. At TAI, we believe every Iowa company is a technology company. Join us at technologyiowa.org to build and unite Iowa's technology community.